0: And welcome back to the Cover Three Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Gathered here today, uh, June one in uh, in here <laughs> for all of us. I I hope as everyone um hope everyone out there is doing all right. It's a lot that is going on right now. Tom Fernelli, Barton Simmons. Every we, we're going to have our great g5 reveal party the reveal of our group of five team that we are each taking in um and and we are going to uh also get into some other topics pulled from the mailbag uh including some fun ones that are going to take us down a little bit of a memory lane always uh always like to open with a quick little check how's everybody feeling
1: good ish
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean yeah, it's it's uh it's hey, 2020 just just keeps on going, man. Keeps chugging along. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so the
0: I would say yeah, just this is this is a time to have a lot lots of thoughts and conversations. And maybe these conversations will weave their way into the podcast. It's not on the agenda today, but listen with your ears open, have conversations with your friends, be thoughtful, empathize, um I don't know. Any anything else that we would want to get out with our with our A little bit of time before we dive in?
1: I would say listen and empathize, but I would also say listen. There's a lot of noise. Try to find the signal. Mm. Don't listen to the noise. And also just a friendly piece of advice to everybody in most situations. Nobody who if anybody who refuses to take the time to listen to you is not worth listening to. So keep that in mind when you're trying to decide who to listen to or what you should listen to based on everything that is going on right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're, a we're a college football podcast and <clears throat> we're going to talk college football and we're going to, you know, we're not just fiddling while Rome burns, you know, we're, we, we, we understand there's stuff going on outside of the pod here. We're living but, in the middle of it. Yeah. 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 At the, right now. <laughs> but, but we're also, I think, you know, three, three white dudes, uh, who, who are buddies who talk college football. Like I don't, I don't know that the, you know, our conversation on this pod uh, relative to what's going on is, is, is what people sort of are, are needing to hear. But like you said, Tom, like, I think it's, it is really important to have conversations. It's really important to listen. It's really important to listen to, to all of the sides and just, and I think that's like the, that's the thing that this, that sort of. You know, has been missing. I think is is just the the dialogue, yeah, the, the conversations.
0: No doubt. Uh, before we get on to our G five reveal party, we're going to remember. Reminder to those of you uh, who have not already learned about the the way to our mailbag, and therefore one of the ways to our hearts, uh, you can join both uh, Wyoming, where it is Wendy and Laramie. You can join Oregon State. You can join Georgia. I mean, you, you could be the true spirit of this podcast, uh, probably just by leaving a really good review. So you go to the Cover 3 podcast, you leave a five-star review, and then with that, you leave your question. That question gets added to the mailbag, and the mailbag is opened uh, during the offseason, during the season. Great way for us to be able to keep this conversation going. Uh, so this first one, is based on the recruiting scene so barton you will certainly be our leader uh in answering this one shane asks quick question for the pod slash my entertainment barton would you or 24 7 sports ever put out a recruiting ranking system that ranks a team's offensive and defensive class separately in addition to the overall rankings for example, the University of Georgia, go dogs, uh, had the number one class in 2020, but where would their offensive slash defensive unit have ranked compared to Alabama or Clemson's respective units? Do you think that this could be a better way to look at who, who might be a better team when you're trying to project teams before the season? I, think in a, in, I, I assume that is a reference to people like me that are going to be looking at recruiting rankings to try and get an idea of uh, general talent levels. Uh, when you're trying to project team the seasons instead of just losing it, looking at the overall ranking?
2: Yeah, I, I actually kind of, in reading this question, I kind of think it's a good idea. It's an idea worth thinking about um, because there is, there can be a little bit of um, a misdirection in terms of following strictly, like, you know, Oklahoma would be an example, though. Oklahoma is actually, they've, they've, part of the reason I've always been a little bit, over the last few years been a little more bullish on their ability to to turn things around defensively is because I've thought they've had good players coming in on defense. Um, So, but that sort of phenomenon of recruiting at a really high level, but really only doing it on one side of the ball. uh, It could, it could sort of create some, some nice contrast and some, some, some trends that maybe we're missing on. So, I don't have a list of of teams recruiting rankings based on their offense or defense, but I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of feeling it. Maybe we're something digging into. What's I think it's a good point? idea.
0: Why? Well, right, so what? What? What would be the only things that could cause the system to misread it? Number. I mean, number one, just players switching positions. I right. guess athlete. The, yeah, the designation of athlete not being sure quite where to fit that in it seems like it might be uh, cause when players switch positions from their, in their recruiting profile gets turned over into their college player profile. It seems like something you might be able to do through the total team composite more than anything. Yeah. Uh, say that again. The total team talent composite. Like oh, the, right. the yeah, idea like who has, of who has the most talented
2: defense who has the most talented offense. Right. Yeah. That's, that's another way to, to, to bubble it up. Uh, in a way that's, I think could be really instructive. Um, all right, I got something to take to the tech team. Mm. To, we're running up the flagpole, see uh, if I can get somebody to sign off on this. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how ex- executable it is, but it is it is definitely something I think that sounds sounds interesting. I
1: was I'm try- going to do it on my own. I
2: was trying.
0: Go. <laughs> well, then it becomes proprietary knowledge, yeah. and we're all going to have to pay 5 me And I'm not going to tell anybody how
1: I do it. I don't even know if I'm going to release it. I'm just going to do it.
0: Speaking of proprietary knowledge, coming up later in the week, Tom will tell uh, the exact details of his strength of schedule uh, formulas that are currently re- dictating who has the easiest and toughest schedule in every single conference, a series that is running over the these two weeks on CBSSports.com. It's
1: really
2: not that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell us that, Tom. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. This question came from William S., Great college football podcast that blends in-depth analysis with funny, witty banter. I've been a loyal listener for over two years, and I can't wait to hear more. My question is, what are the best forgotten college football games of the 2010s? Games that were awesome in the moment, but have been lost to history. Example, Houston's comeback versus Pitt in the Armed Forces Bowl.
2: Houston's comeback versus Pitt in the armed forces bowl. Do you guys, is that a something that's is, is seared in y'all's memory?
0: It was a little too obscure for even the, like the way that I approached, uh, like the, the ones that I've got, I've got two games that I thought would be fun to talk about. Um, one actually is a bowl game, uh, another one is a regular season game. They were both from the middle of that decade, and I definitely went a little less obscure with hope that uh, you and our listeners would also have some memories of this because I I don't... The Armed Forces Bowl was sitting in that same little spot in the bowl calendar as the BBVA Compass Bowl, where it was after New Year's Day, but before the national championship. And I want to say that Pitt had like three years in a row of sitting in that kind of you know, quiet zone between the Rose Bowl and the National Championship where maybe in a couple of those years, they even had interim coaches. And and that's what I kind of remember from uh, from that run.
2: I think I've talked... We've talked on this pod. Maybe if I haven't, I'll reiterate now. I, I got to believe that one of the more entertaining rides as a fan to be on is that of a Pitt fan. Like, <laughs> I bet you just like it's this is a really hard exercise for me because my mind doesn't work like this where I can just sort of conjure up the game from 2014 week 7 between two teams in the Big 10 West or something and and just sort of remember how much I loved it like I I don't I can't recall things like that in in, in such a clear way but I got to think that over the last 10 years pit football has probably had more of the most <laughs> Obscure, inexplainable, like just just random entertaining games in the last decade. I mean, right? I, I can think of I can think of just all these flash images of pit scores being like, how what what the hell is that? It doesn't it. Ex-
0: oh, go ahead, Tom.
1: I don't know how forgotten these games are, or compared to what the question wanted, but I've got one for each year of the decade.
2: Oh wow! That's, nice. see, this is this is your wheelhouse. <laughs> yes. I, I, I've got four games I came up with, but three of them are from the last two years. So like, yeah. well, that, those are the don't, easiest don't ones to out. remember. Yeah, but to to your point, real quick on Pitt, I kind
0: doesn't it for Pitt extend even beyond the two thousand? Because you're right. Like they have been, there have been some, been, there have been some what like a like a seventeen sixteen game with Notre Dame. You know, there's been some of the recent games that we've seen with the they won against Penn State uh but when you take it all the way back to like them having epic battles with West Virginia in the backyard brawl like i feel like it's the pit being this uh this this incredible what i mean what's the what's the joke pit happens right yeah <laughs> yeah pit happens it just it does um tom that that's an incredible collection do you want to you want to run through them Sure. Okay.
2: Start in 2010. What is is this list? Is this list like your favorite game from each year or Uh, just just, one you remember or best or what? Games. I mean,
1: games that really stood out that maybe aren't like, you know, like title games or, you know signature moments in college football history those kind of things that you're going to remember you know what i mean yeah,
0: yeah. like kick right.
1: six is not a game that should qualify no, it might three. have been the best game of that season but it doesn't qualify for this type of thing uh we'll start in 2010 wisconsin 83 indiana 20
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wisconsin scored 83 points in the game folks and they only threw 21 passes
0: is that russ on the team at quarterback
1: i do No, no, it wasn't Russ. It was, (laughs) but yeah, they only threw for two hundred and sixty yards, and they scored eighty-three points. Like both James White and uh, was it Mel? It might have been Melvin Gordon. It might have been somebody else. But both of them rushed for like at least one hundred and fifty yards.
2: They put seventy on Northwestern two weeks later. Yeah, (laughs) and they put seventy on Austin P in week four.
1: That team was an extremely fu kind of. That was Bert Burton it up. He, you know he wasn't taking mercy on anybody.
0: Oh my goodness! Uh, it
1: was something to love. Uh, Twenty eleven, yeah. the Alamo Bowl, Baylor sixty seven, Washington fifty six. It wasn't there wasn't a ton of drama at the end, but it was just bonkers. And you'll see a lot of that. Uh, Baylor actually shows up on my list three
0: times.
2: <laughs> I, want, I got I've I've got one Baylor game that I'm. But I'm curious will be if it'll be on yours. Same.
1: I bet it is.
0: Is it the same? Okay, keep going.
1: Twenty twelve, West Virginia seventy, Baylor sixty three.
0: That was the one that uh is was it Gino for West Virginia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was the Baylor quarterback?
1: Oh god, I don't remember. Okay. Um might have been, was it RG
2: three? I think it was RG yeah, three. No, it was Nick Florence. Remember Nick
1: Florence? Oh yeah, Florence it was the year after RG three, after RG 3s Heisman.
2: Nick Florence threw for five hundred and eighty one yards <laughs> in that game. <laughs> and Nick Florence was like very average. But somehow he just he he just lit it up in that R Brow stuff.
1: Yeah, because this was like this was still at the forefront of the air raid kind of spread type deal with these offenses and the tempo and defenses had absolutely no idea how to, you know, Account for that. They had no idea how to counter it or slow it down or stop it. And this, was, so you're seeing like at the early part of the decade, there were a lot of games like that with a lot of ridiculous scores because defenses had no idea how to stop it. They didn't have like the substitution rules and all that stuff to kind of slow things down a bit. So you were seeing teams scoring, you know, 120 points per game. It was ridiculous.
2: It was also at the height of uh, of Baylor's lack of defense mm-hmm. too. Oh yeah, you know Smith. Forty-five of fifty-one for six hundred and fifty-six yards I mean, and eight touchdowns. Dude,
0: this game had two three hundred yard receivers. Yes. <laughs> Terrence Williams, 17 catches, 314 yards. Stedman Bailey for West Virginia, 13 catches, 303 yards, five touchdowns. Hell yeah. Stupid.
1: Uh 2013. Auburn 43. Georgia 38 this game gets forgotten because of that game I just mentioned a few minutes ago this happened like two weeks before the kick six. It was the Hail Mary pass by Nick Marshall that was tipped by two Georgia defenders before Ricardo Lewis caught it and scored. And I don't know if that's quite a forgotten game, because I think a lot of people remember it. But it's just because of what happened two weeks later with kick six, you forgot the prayer at Jordan Hare. And this is the whole start of, you know, Gus, you know, Gus and Jesus and football Jesus and (laughs) all that kind of stuff, because there was there was something going on where that just those were two like miracles for Auburn. Uh, 2014, my final Baylor game on the list, Baylor 61, TCU 58. Not only was it a great game, but that was the first year of the college football playoff, and it basically cost the Big 12 a playoff berth because Baylor and TCU then had to... Baylor was technically the Big 12 champion, but the way the Big 12 did it was, since they both had the same record, they they were split conference titles, and the playoff used that as an excuse to say, well, then we'll just take Ohio State over either of you.
2: Yeah, Baylor scored 24 straight in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. to win it after TCU had already scored 14 to start the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> the game was nuts. including including one of those TCU scores. was an, It was a pick six, a 50 yard pick six. God, I love crazy games.
1: <laughs> twenty fifteen, okay. Stanford thirty-eight, Notre Dame thirty-six. Stanford kinda still had like I think playoff hopes at that point. They didn't end up going, but it was like there was nine lead changes, and Stanford won on a, a field goal as time expired. It was late in the year. It was just a ridiculous kind of you know game. Twenty sixteen. Hold on.
0: Can I oh. can I add my submission to twenty fifteen? If oh hell yeah, chronologically. Okay. Yeah. Baylor 49, North Carolina 38.
2: I I second the motion. Baylor (laughs) returns. Yeah, that's a good call.
0: The Baylor Bears had 84 rushing attempts for 645 yards and seven (laughs) touchdowns. Baylor was down two quarterbacks, Seth Russell and Jared Stidham. They were down Balitnikov Award winner Corey Coleman and 1,000 yard back Shock Linwood. Five different Baylor players took snaps four attempted passes, and uh, and the Bears all, were 10 for 18 passing as a team for 111 yards.
2: 756 <laughs> yards of offense. failure <laughs> that night without – let's see. An and Albee. the whole world was on North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing they even put up 18 pass attempts <laughs> when,
0: when you really think about it. Um, one more submission for 2015 – is arkansas 53 Ole miss 52
2: oh yeah that's that's a good one
0: brandon allen uh 442 yards six touchdowns swag kelly 368 yards three passing touchdowns with 110 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns and on fourth and 25 hunter henry does a blind backwards lateral to (laughs) alex (laughs) collins to convert fourth and 25 no team led by more than seven points. It was 7-7 at the end of the first, 17-17 at half, 31-31 at the end of the third, at 45-45 at the end of regulation. And that game, uh, you know, talking about significance nationally, Ole Miss needed to lose that in order for Alabama to be able to jump ahead of them because Ole Miss had taken down Bama earlier in the season.
2: Yeah, I was trying to think about what the – because I remember that rando – backwards lateral or whatever ultimately um knocked somebody like like was was good news or bad news for someone else in the division so that's what it was bama would have would have would not have won the division had old miss uh stopped gotten that stop
0: or it, i mean it was uh at that point in the season i think we're like week nine or week ten it there were still games left on the schedule, but that was the game that officially moved Bama that extra game ahead in the standings so that their loss to Ole Miss wouldn't matter as long as they won out. All right, yeah. Tom. Yeah.
1: Uh, 2020 20, Oh, yeah, 2016. All right. Now this game is on the list. It was the opening weekend of that season. I can't remember if it was the Sunday night or the labor day night game, but It was a terrific game at the beginning of the year, and then the way things went the rest of the season, I think, is what made it even more special. Texas 50, Notre (laughs) Dame 47, double overtime thriller. One of the many, you know, Texas is back moments in which they, by beating Notre Dame to start the season, said, oh, wow, look at, you know, this team's good. And then Texas went on to finish five and seven, and Notre Dame went on to finish four and eight. Neither team made a bowl (laughs) game. But that one Sunday night or whatever it was, when that game played, it was like, oh my God, this is like a national title preview.
0: We had, yeah. uh, we were big on Deshaun Kaiser at the time, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Shane Bouchelle too.
0: Oh,
2: still in the league. <laughs> still that is a, you know, there, there was a game, there was an opening week game between, uh, between Florida state and Miami like that. I'm trying to remember when it was, it was, it was maybe a while ago, but I remember being like, Oh, there might not be anyone that scores on either of these teams the rest of the season. Maybe it was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to guess, but it, but it was like a really low scoring game. It was like, Holy cow. These are the two best defenses I've ever seen. And come to find out it was just two terrible offenses. And both teams were (laughs) super average all year. That's a, that's a little bit like that Texas Notre Dame deal.
1: What year was, I I remember the game you're talking about. I can't remember what year it was though. I'm just up.
2: looking at their their like series history. There was yeah, so I'm looking like the, er, like the early 2000s were all really low. Early to mid 2000s were all pretty low scoring games. Maybe it was one of those. Hmm.
1: All right, yeah, we'll move on. I don't know what year, but I I know exactly what game you're talking about. Uh, 2017. Penn State 21 Iowa 19 it was just it wasn't a high scoring game which a lot of the games on my list were you know crazy high scoring games but it was a close well played well defensed game that was very interesting at the end it was you know it's the whole thing if you never want to go play in Kinnick Stadium at night if you're like a top five team on the road because you're gonna die right and Penn State. Penn State came very close to losing. Saquon Barkley kind of put the team on his back. Trace McSorley scored the touchdown in the final seconds to win the game for Penn State. It was just a great game, but it's not like a classic or anything that anybody would you know truly sit there and whatever. Uh, Twenty eighteen.
2: Can I just say because I have memories of Akram Wadley for, for Iowa
1: having a great was, night.
2: Yeah, and he Akram Wadley is like one of these guys who the who like my perception of him as a player. Apparently he's just just some super average guy because he couldn't get a sniff in the NFL. But I, I just remember every time I watched Akron Wadley and I'd be like, man, that dude, that dude is freaking good. Like that's a that's a beast right there. And then he he just wasn't even on the wasn't a blip on the NFL radar. Uh
1: 2018, a game that like ninety-five percent of the country couldn't see. And the five percent who did were watching on some dude's periscope. Oh yeah. Oklahoma twenty-eight, Army twenty-one in overtime. It was on pay-per-view in Oklahoma. It wasn't televised nationally anywhere else. And you're just watching it, following it along on Twitter, and then eventually you found that one guy periscoping it so you could watch like late in the fourth quarter and into overtime.
2: <laughs> so that's one of mine. I have that on my list too. And I I never I mean, I remember, you know, the 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 updates on social media or whatever in real time but what was really fun we, we may have even talked about this in the pod was finding the whatever the YouTube or just the the replay of the game and and like watching it like basically reverse engineering that score and figuring out how in the hell does this happen and in, in, in almost in knowing the score of that game it makes it like even more fascinating. Every series, because it's just like, wait a minute,
0: they don't Oklahoma score the ball back. <laughs>
2: like, 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 oh, like oh, what, oh, how does like, there's like, there's a whole quarter left. How, how does this end up in a tie? Or like, you know, it's just it's bizarre. It's it's so much. It was so much fun to rewatch it because Oklahoma
0: didn't score for the entire second half. No. They had 20 an army
1: just had the ball the whole time.
0: Yeah, they were up 2114 at halftime. And then it went to overtime. 2121. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my apologies to Kenneth Murray, because I uh, tried to put like on the podcast and in some of my banter, wherever. I feel like I was trying to put an asterisk on his total tackle, his tackle totals for the season because the yeah, man forty five against Army, the man just stuffed the sheet against Army, and he uh, obviously. I, the reason I say I want to apologize is because I think that last year he was awesome and certainly proved that he's not just a stat stuffer who got it in and and had his had his head in the right spot for the option.
1: Yeah, I Oklahoma had three possessions in the second half. One was an interception. One was a turnover on downs. So it was a 90 play 80 yard drive that ended up as a turnover on downs. And then the second time they turned it over on downs. Whereas army had three second half possessions, one of which only lasted three plays. It took a minute and 47 off the clock. But the other two possessions, 19 plays, (laughs) 85 yards, 10 minutes and 47 seconds, 17 plays, 65 yards, 10 minutes and six seconds incredible. Uh and then my final game 2019 near and dear to my heart. Illinois 37, Michigan State 34. Oh. Illinois trailed 28 to 3 in the second half, came back, won the game and in doing so picked up their sixth win in bowl eligibility.
0: First bowl eligible since 13?
1: E- yes, I don't think that yeah, it's 13 or 14, I'm pretty sure it was 13.
2: Love that,
0: Barton. You got any other games on your notepad?
2: Yeah, I have two that weren't mis- mentioned that are absolutely major snubs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first is look, re- I, I don't recency bias or not. UCLA Washington State. Yeah. Yeah. No. Year. That that was just bonkers. That was like that was definitely one of the wildest games I've seen in person and it was one of those games where like or not person but like in real time it, it was one of those games where there was I I was in Connecticut for CBS HQ that weekend so I was doing you know I was I was on sort of on on video all, all day and but the but the my day ended at like whatever it was 12 30 after midnight and this game was getting all this you know social like people were starting to be like oh this game's so crazy this game's so crazy and I was like you know, I to drive back from HQ to my hotel, and 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 it kept on pinging about how crazy this game was. I was like, "Well, by the time I get here, game will basically be over, and I'll miss all the fireworks." And I got there like I started watching. I don't know some some point in the second half, it was a, it was the late kick game, and holy cow! Like there's like just the fireworks were never ending. It yeah, was, we were recording during it. We were, yeah. were, Were we recording during it? Yeah. yeah,
1: that's part of what made it great too, because <laughs> we had that was that. the whole week. That was the whole week where you guys were trying to talk me out of taking UCLA.
2: Yeah. No. well, so here's what ha- here's what happened. Now I remember we were recording during it, and that's when I was like just sort of passively paying attention yes. to what was going on. And w- our podcast ended at like one thirty in the morning Eastern time, or or maybe later. And and so I was like, well, I, w- I hope. Too bad this UCLA-Washington State game has to end. And then on the ride back to my hotel, like, more craziness happened. <laughs> yes. And I got back to the hotel, and there was still, like, 45 minutes of wildness still to go. <laughs> it was awesome.
0: Yeah, the whole second half uh, probably took about two and a half hours. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you had, uh, let's see. We, we had a whopping 500, 570 passing yards and uh, nine touchdowns for uh, Anthony Gordon in a loss.
2: <laughs> so can, can I just, I'm just looking at the drive chart, okay? Second half drive chart, A plays 80 yards, okay? One plays six yards, Nine plays 75 yards. All right. Not you know, not super crazy. Now here goes the the the, the 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 circus. One play 37 yards, one play 94 yards, four plays 51 yards, nine plays 75, 6 plays 70, 3 plays 0, 5 plays 75, 4 plays 26. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like i have never seen anything like it.
1: And more important than anything. UCLA covered.
2: Lock it up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, great game. I right, what's your what's your other one?
2: And then my last game um a game that that cost me a a win total bet but uh, Toledo Bowling Green 2019 <laughs> was that was that was another reverse engineer it game. I didn't watch it in real time. I can't I, I'm not that sick. But maybe it's even more sick that I circled back and and found a recording of it and watched it, um, and a rewatch of that Toledo Bowling Green game was was jaw dropping. <laughs> like the, the ways the ways Toledo gave that game away, the the special teams misfunction dysfunction sorry in the first half were. Like something I'd never seen before, so that's that's a that's worth a watch. if You want to dig up a old YouTube clip?
0: Because of course, if Bowling Green was going to get somebody in the MAC, it was going to be one of the most stable and functional programs that's been going over the last like half decade.
2: It's a rivalry game. Hey, throw out the records.
0: <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent work. I'm I'm very happy with uh with that little trip. All right, one last one before we hit the break and do our reveal. What is going on at Rhode Island? (laughs) (laughs) What's going on at Rhode Island? Longtime fan slash listener of the pod for the past couple of years. Great podcast for CFB Insight. Really enjoyed the deep dives into each conference. I have absolutely no ties to Rhode Island, not a fan or a follower. However, I'm a CFB junkie and I noticed there are three possible draftable players from Rhode Island for the 2020 draft and also notice they signed four different three-star prospects from the last recruiting class. Surely this has to be an FCS powerhouse, right? Then look to see their head coach is 14 and 50 with them. How can this be? Please do a deep dive into what's going on here. How are they able to recruit and develop so well, but not put up wins?
2: So first of all, we've we have noted this on the podcast in the NFL draft. You know, I guess probably NFL Combine world, right? I think I I I brought it up to you guys, and I was like, you know, can anyone guess their record this year? Uh, Because it was two and ten, right? (laughs) It's two and (laughs) ten. So uh, I, I don't have – I have nothing more to add. I'm hoping Tom did the deep dive because I have nothing more to add. I looked at their schedule. I don't really know any coaches that well on teams that played them. I don't, I don't know how to explain the fact that they're terrible with NFL-level players in the FCS. Uh, it's, it is, you know is – I'm at a loss as well.
1: Uh, I will say that only one of those Rhode Island players was drafted. It was Isaac Coulter who went, or Isaiah Coulter, who went to the Texans in the fifth round with the 171st pick. The others were signed as free agents. So perhaps their record had an impact on their draft stock. As for what's going on with the program, I don't know. I have a better question for you. Why are you called Rhode Island? Hmm. You have a couple islands in that bay there but you know just outside providence i can't remember what it's called what's what's the name of that body of water that uh, mount hope no it's the providence river but then there's like mount hope bay and all that stuff so you have islands there but rhode island itself is not an island it is, three of its borders are on land one of its borders is a coast maybe rhode island should reconsider its name I don't know. You're you're not even an isthmus. You're you're let alone an island. You're you're nothing. You're just a state. You don't see Connecticut out here calling itself Connecticut Island.
0: I think that Rhode Island should ask for more from its football program. I think that the C- the CAA you should be there should be more upward trajectory because my my deep dive went far enough to be like, all right, so who are they playing? Like what? Uh, who are they bumping their head against? And if I, I think that you're not – like James Madison is a powerhouse. I, I'm not an FCS expert, but I do recognize that James Madison is one of those programs that expects to uh, have a team that can go on a deep run in the FCS playoffs every single year. Towson, another quality program. But I think that we've seen uh, like William and Mary's on a little bit of a downward trajectory where we've seen them also be up near the top. Elon, uh, located down the road from me in Burlington, North Carolina, has been a recent riser in the CAA. And so my message to Rhode Island junkies is if Elon can do it, the Rams can do it as well. You should you should want more than just some NFL draft picks from uh, former Sewanee tight end Jim Fleming.
2: So in my in my University of Rhode Island football research, since the program was – since the program – was birthed in 1963 there has been 12 winning seasons in the program history wow so you know not a whole lot of winning culture Mm -hmm. there and i will also say in defense of rhode island uh you know that was they played virginia tech they played ohio so you can't really expect them to win those two games necessarily and There were a lot of games where they were kind of, you know, they were close games, one-score games. They needed a little help from the defense. All those guys were on one side of the ball. So to our original uh, question's point, hey, you got to be able to recruit well on both sides of the football. Uh, So, yeah, you know what? Hang in there, Rhode Island.
0: (laughs) Encouraging words for the Rams out there. Coming up on the other side, we will reveal the group of five teams that we will choose to adopt Ride for and represent for the 2020 season next. Robert Half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in
2: finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal. And administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, We Know Talent. Visit
0: RobertHalf.com today.
1: The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus.
0: What brings you to the shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down. Walk right out to the side.
1: A new rain is coming to the south side.
0: Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job.
1: The shy new episodes. Now streaming visit paramountplus.com slash the shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount plus with the Showtime annual plan offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews restrictions apply
0: before we get to uh the big group of five reveal. Again, we are recording here on Monday afternoon and we've got some very, very big breaking news for uh, the Clemson Tigers as Dabo Sweeney has announced and the school has announced that he will be missing the season Uh, Justin Ross, Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross will be missing the season. He underwent uh, surgery for a stinger issue, something, I guess he went up recently, something that they discovered at the beginning of spring practice at the end of offseason workouts. This is a massive loss for Trevor Lawrence in the Clemson offense as, you know, just like T. Higgins before him and before T. Higgins, you had, uh, you know, Mike Williams. I mean, he was in this line of alphas that can really dominate uh, at the wide receiver position in the Clemson offense. You know, th- it's it's sort of all unfolding right now. These kind of announcements, I think, are, make it, uh, number one, a little bit too easy for us to be like, oh, he's out for the year? We'll just, like, scratch him away. But uh, this like, this is, I don't know, like, uh, thoughts.
2: Well, I'll just read Anna Hickey's tweet, 21st of the sports. Sweeney Because Dabo Sweeney had his, like, uh, big, you know, Zoom... Uh, meeting you know speak speaking engagement with the reporters whatever so that was when you just said justin ross will not play this season so there's no guarantee he can play football again has a congenital fusion that he was born with which showed up in an x-ray this spring we'll have surgery on friday so i mean it's just devastating to hear that kind of news because that guy was he 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 was and and this was this i, I get this based on some coaches i've talked to Considered the better receiver between him and T. T- Higgins, mm. uh, he was a little bit. Uh, he he was playing through some injury this year, so he didn't have as quite a good a year. I don't think as his freshman season. Um, but you know, when you consider T. Higgins gone and Justin Ross gone, you know they they do have some good talent behind them. Frank Ladson and and uh, Joseph Engato are two freshmen that are going to be good. But that just that just sucks, man. That sucks for him, obviously. Sucks for College football. I mean, he's a really good player, and, uh, and you want to see the best teams at their best. And you know that's that's why it's hard to win national championships because these sort of things happen, and most teams aren't playing at full strength all the time. And so this is going to be another one Clemson's got to got absorb.
1: Yeah, you just hope that whatever you know with the con- with the uh, congenital dis uh, congenital condition he has like you read from the tweet, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to keep playing. So you just hope that whatever it is, they're able to deal with it, able to maintain it. And he's able to keep playing if he wants to, because I mean, that is somebody who certainly has a professional future and millions of dollars in it. If he's able to play
0: he, two things um, sort of in my mental bio for Justin Ross, number one, that he was the number one wide receiver in the state of Alabama. And I, if I remember correctly uh, when he picked Clemson, it almost felt like a shot across the bow because we we're right in the middle of like real uh, Clemson, Alabama, fighting for college football, supremacy um, kind of moments. And for Clemson to go into the state of Alabama and get the number one wide receiver in that state and get him to come to Clemson, that felt very, very significant. Uh, the other was when the light bulb just exploded between the end of the regular season and the college football playoff in 2018. Because Justin Ross, had he was, he was starting to really emerge. He was definitely putting up big numbers in the games that uh, Trevor Lawrence, who had then also fellow freshman, had sort of fully ingratiated himself. But against Notre Dame and Alabama, in those two games, he totaled 12 catches for 301 yards and three touchdowns just an absolutely dominant force against the Notre Dame defense and the Alabama defense. And that was like a, Whoa, Oh my gosh. Like what is going to be like, what is the ceiling for this guy? He he automatically looked like, uh, like you mentioned, Tom, a future pro and a real difference maker. I, I wonder if for Clemson's offense, that this is just going to put them back in that comfortable position of riding Travis ETN and like Joseph Nagata, Frank Ladson, um, I think that we've we still got is DeAndre Overton still there as well, I believe? Like they've got like you mentioned, Barton, they've got talented wide receivers. And I do think that within the the structure of that offense, still under the leadership of Tony Elliott, like they're they're going to be able to wow you and overwhelm you with some of their size and skill on the outside. But it kind of feels like, despite you, despite having a generational talent at quarterback, kind of feels like the thing that Clemson has the best chance to be able to do really, really well is going to be to uh, like establish a good running game and then sort of build it off of that.
2: Yeah, I don't mean, I mean, like the thing with Clemson is they' there's only a few teams that they need Justin Ross to 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 beat. Yeah, um, Notre Dame might be one of them. Notre Dame might be one of them. Yeah.
0: Um, all right, well, let's, uh, I, that stinks for Justin Ross. I hope that he is able to, uh, that it's, if he wants to continue his football career, he's going to be able to uh, find ways to do that and be able to uh, recover from this, but not going to be a part of the, uh, the Clemson offense on the field in 2020. Again, this just, uh, announced by Dabo Sweeney here in the last 20, 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, all right. G five reveal time. Who wants to go first?
1: not it um i mean hey do it
2: someone's got someone's got to go first i'll take a stand all right I, i i gotta say so like in my selection process i i was really all over the place in what i was considering what i was looking for in my fandom um you know, I wanted some level of success. I wanted you know a schedule that was friendly for me. I wanted uh, someone I would be enjoy watching. Um, so yeah look, there's a lot of teams that I, I went through, but I got to be honest. when I really started digging on this team, it was it was sort of like a was sort of love at first sight. I just sort of it felt it. I felt I felt a chill go through my body. I started to say, you know what this, this is the team. This is the one I've been looking for. And the team I have chosen is Lance Leopold's Buffalo Bulls. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, a lot of reasons I chose the Buffalo Bulls. Uh, first of all their their coach, like Buffalo has is, is a is a notoriously is it mor- moribund? Is that the word? Like, bad? It's just a bad program.
1: It's- yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, moribund means at the point of death. So <laughs> mor- Moribund. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that extreme, but I think it works.
2: Yeah, I mean, Buffalo's terrible. It's like one of the t- football teams in college football you say is terrible. And so they hire, they go outside the box hire, getting Lance Leopold a few years ago from Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, he's one of the all-time winningest coaches in college football history at the D three level, and he takes that D three model and he goes and he's immediately starts just building this program. And they've they've consistently produced NFL guys. They've consistently had success. They've consistently been like growing this program into a really good team, and so. We're at the point now where they return most of their roster. They won a bowl game for, I think, the first time ever last year. They now return one of the best running backs in the group of five. Maybe – I'll uh, let me get back to you during the season once I watch more of them. Maybe one of the best running backs regardless of classification uh, in Jarrett Patterson. They have – another 2000 they had 2000 2, yard rushers this past year they have two quarterbacks that are capable one was hurt last year the other one came in vantrese and was really good they have the two leading sackers in the in the mac returning they have and by the way they they lost uh khalil Mack's little brother mm-hmm. uh with darius mac to he's an nfl you know undrafted free agent i think but signed with the bears yeah there you go uh you know he didn't like Cleo Mac didn't play high school football till his senior year, mm-hmm. and his brother didn't play at all until JUCO. It's so like, and now he's playing in the NFL. Like maybe the the Mac parents like go ahead and get him get him suited up a little earlier in senior year, and you know, who knows what we could have.
1: <laughs> That's the thing. Like you wonder how the hell did Cleo Mac end up at Buffalo?
2: Well, well... <laughs> he didn't play until he was a senior. His brother didn't play at all. It's yeah. like what the hell's going on here? All right. Anyways, so you got all that. And I'm just interested in watching a team that's going to be good, competitive, entertaining. I I get to sort of get a close look at one of the great football coaches in the country, regardless of classification, arguably. And on top of all that, it's a team that's going to have a game against Kansas State, a game against Ohio State, Mm. and a bunch of weeknight games to keep me entertained for some oat milk vodka evenings. And <laughs> I, I, I'm just like, this, I am so stoked to be part of Bull Nation, and I, I, you know, I'm I I feel like this is the right team for me. All right, and
1: plus you get to beat Bowling Green. That's right. Okay.
0: <laughs> are you are we going back on the Bowling Green under as <laughs> a matter of gonna, principle? We get we get
2: Brian Van Gorder on the schedule.
0: This you are going you know what's gonna happen out of this is. The next coaching cycle, you are going to be the foremost expert on Lance Leopold.
2: I, I could be picking them at a year where maybe they even have like a cycle up year for, if, in Buffalo terms. And hey, you're right. You know, if there's a couple job openings there, uh, I will have just gotten done watching Every Lance game. Leopold leave Buffalo to a 10 win season with an upset over Kansas State. And took Ohio State into the fourth quarter. Hell yeah.
0: Love it. Uh our, all right, Tom, you or me.
1: I'll go. I okay. was actually I'll start with some teams that didn't make the cut. I was considering a team that's in Buffalo's division in the Mac East as one of my finalists, but I chose I, I went a different direction. But Kent State was in the running. Uh, a couple other teams I considered, but I wanted I wanted to go a direction that I haven't really gone. Like I considered Wyoming. I considered Tulane, but I already kind of have affection for those two programs like Wyoming, you know, it's going to be windy and Laramie. That's right. something we've always had on the pot anyway. And then Tulane, I've always been a big fan of Willie Fritz. So I wanted to, I wanted to find new areas where I could express my love and support. And I was drawn to the American athletic conference and a little school in a town that actually lives up to its name because unlike rhode island which isn't an island there is green in greenville (laughs) which is the home of the east carolina pirates pirate nation i am coming purple pride i am one of you and i mean I can't. I can't wait. This is you know this is a team that had a quarterback in Holden dollars last year as a sophomore put up very good numbers. He's going to continue to get better in an offense that is well designed and suited to him. He's got you know a Demetrius Moni as a freshman running back led the team in rushing. He only had 446 yards and a touchdown, but he's somebody who going forward is going to take on a larger role. And when I look at the AAC. Yes, they are in the same division as Cincinnati, and they are in the same division as UCF and Temple and South Florida. Well, they were. The divisions are gone. But you get what I'm saying. There are better teams in the conference, and ECU has had it rough. Didn't have. It's Mike Houston. Mm-hmm. Who came to ECU last year after three years at James Madison, where he won a national title in his first season in 2016, lost in the national title game in 2017, but was 14 and one both seasons, 8 and 0 in the Colonial Athletic Association, whooping Rhode Island's butt. <laughs> 2018, he went nine and four, reached the second round, but then he was hired by ECU to come. They said, "We need you to come build our program, like you helped build Lenar Ryan, and the Citadel, and James Madison." And we saw last year that kind of change already. They only went four and eight, but if you look closer at the schedule late in the season, the Pirates really kind of started getting their act together. They started to figure it out. Things began to click. There was they almost got Cincinnati there was the close loss to Cincinnati they lost by 3 a week later on the road against an SMU team that finished in the top 25 and went bowling they lost by 8 a one score game then they beat UConn on the road and they came back and they got you know beat up by Tulsa in the regular season finale but what you saw in Cincinnati and what you saw in that SMU game and what you saw in the UCF loss which was by 13 but they were not you know they did not get embarrassed they hung well in that game they 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 made themselves proud That's what we're going to see more of in 2020, and that's why I'm getting on the ECU bus now. I am a pirate now, and I am a pirate forever. Let's go, ECU.
0: We will get you, uh, we need to get you like a t-shirt from Sup Dogs. Yes, it is spelled S-U-P Dogs. Uh, They claim to have one of the 20 best hot dogs in America, and uh, it's it's a nice little spot for socializing. Maybe get you to Pantana Bob's. We can ingratiate you in Greenville culture.
1: Let's do it. Purple Let's and, do
0: it. Purple and gold will look good on you, but mm-hmm.
1: Every, well, I mean to be fair, everything looks good on me. <laughs> <You know.
0: laughs> it means that things are going to be very tense on this pod on October tenth. What? Because on October tenth, your beloved ECU Pirates will be facing off against my USF Bulls, and I'm going with oh. the Bulls. Because I, everyone talks about, like, oh, yeah, when, when Nick Saban, uh, you know, what's going to happen after Nick Saban? What's going to happen after Nick Saban? Well, like, it, it's going to be Dabo. It's gonna, is it going to be Dabo or is it not going to be Dabo? But i tell you what, I love, like, just with two big arms, like, if I could hug this USF coaching staff, I would because we've got Number one, Jeff Scott, who is former Clemson wide receiver, former Clemson wide receivers coach. You know, we mentioned that long line of great wide receiver development, um, offensive coordinator, and this is going to be his first opportunity. And he believes that USF is a place where you can win big. Okay, all right, I'll I'll take your your um, you know I'll take you at your opening press conference comments. But man, look at these hires, you. Y- y'all know who we got in the house as the quarterbacks coach? Now, Let's hear it. Now it's twenty-six-year-old Charlie Weiss Jr. What? No longer the twenty-four-year-old Wonderkin. We've got former West Virginia superstar Pat White as the running backs coach. Glenn. Sp- oh man. Glenn Spencer uh, as the defensive coordinator, who you may remember. Glenn Spencer probably most well known for Oklahoma State tenure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Xavier Dye, a former Clemson player and assistant as a a defensive backs coach, I believe. Former Cartersville high school head coach, Joey King. Trevor Lawrence's old high school coach is coaching the tight ends. And then Alan Mogridge from East Tennessee, former UNC player, former Carolina Cobra's arena football participant where the Carolina Cobras had dancers called the snake charmers that melt me, made me feel things as a 12 year old, a Butch Davis's (laughs) recruiting coordinator. Uh, I mean, they've got wide receivers named both Randall St. Felix and Eddie McDoom. I I I'm, I'm all the way in on USF. It's going to be a little bit of a build. I think 2020, you know, they opened the year actually playing against Texas. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that shocked the world moment, but if it is, it's going to be because of that uh, that Clemson positivity that this staff is bringing to a, to a group that has been uh, woefully underperforming their expectations.
2: Do you ever have a? Did you ever have a snake charmers autographed picture or a paraphernalia of any kind?
0: I didn't get to take it home because it was someone else's birthday party. For the full <laughs> birthday party experience, where like the charmers come to your row and they put you up on the jumbotron. But yes, uh, my friend Andrew did have some autographed Snake charmers memorabilia and photos from uh, his, his 12 or 13-year-old birthday party in middle school.
2: I think that this is a really smart move to get on board. On the ground with, floor. You know, right as Dabo Sweeney is becoming, you know, is so good that folksy Dabo is now villainous Dabo. And so now his, you know, he, his his offspring, Jeff Scott. There's nothing villainous about Jeff Scott. Now all those good good vibes uh, that that you get from Clemson, you can just send on down to South Florida as Clemson takes his Darth Vader role, as as the Death Star of college football. Uh, yeah, you you get all the all the good vibes of Dabo down there in Tampa. Uh, I think that this is this is a very savvy move.
0: All right, USF, hey. Buffalo, easy time. You got something?
1: Just so say you know what this means. What does this mean? We're gonna need addresses and shirt sizes, boys. <laughs>
2: okay. I'm ready for some bulls gear.
1: <laughs> we need we need to get Barton something to wear on Wednesday night while he's drinking his
2: v- oat vegan, milk. Uh, what uh, kind of
1: milk is it? It's oat milk oat and milk. vodka. Oat milk, oat milk and vodka. vodka. Just because if you're gonna drink that, at least look good, right? That's what we need.
2: Tuesday nights, oat milk, vodka, and Buffalo Bulls. <laughs> the vegan <laughs> the, white the- the so, I'm curious who else you guys considered. I'll, I'll give you the, the teams that were probably my top contenders. Uh, Tulsa, because I felt like you know they just they just showed some grit and survival last year by by coaches on the hot seat. They played some teams close. They got receivers, running backs, quarterbacks all returning. I just thought Tulsa could be interesting, and then Temple, who keeps on sending guys to the league. I just wanted to kind of get it you know, get a full season slate of figuring out how they're so good at sending guys to the league out of a group of five. Rice, because I just would love to see old school, that brand of football try to win in some of these, this, this new spread world. And then old dominion, uh, coaching staff, Ricky Ronnie, youngest coaching staff in the country. I thought maybe there's a chance I could get some, some retweets from their coaches or something. (laughs) Uh, but those were, those are probably my top contenders.
0: I also considered uh Colorado State jumping in on a coach that
2: That'll was be a, satisfying.
0: A Ram is tough but compassionate. <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> I was really trying to get in on this uh tough compassion. And then uh, <laughs> I also thought about going App State, but that felt like two homer and similar to yeah, what you know. A bit. Yeah, we've I'm gonna have my eyes on them already, but uh, I, I really like trying to to buy the stock of Dabo Jr. down there in Tampa. Maybe it's the next Clemson head coach. We will see. I, I mentioned
1: Tulane and Wyoming. The other teams that I gave serious consideration to, because like, I didn't consider Tulane and Wyoming too long because of previous allegiances, but the other ones I was really considering were the Kent State, as I mentioned. Rice was another team that, for me, was one of those finalists. Um, and then the one that was really, really hard for me to cut, and I was really trying to get on, but with our being a Georgia pod already, I felt like doubling down with Georgia Southern would have been a little too much.
0: <laughs> we'll, well, we'll, have a, if we'll see how this goes, I, I would co- I consider this maybe as a, as a new annual tradition.
2: We'll, we'll see. How I'm it goes. stoked. I'm yeah. so excited to be a bulls fan this year. <laughs> me too. Ready. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Finale. you can follow
0: him at Martin Simmons. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else.